0: Welcome to Deconstructing Yourself, the podcast for meta-modern mutants interested in meditation, awakening, zen, zogchen, tantra, science fiction, and much, much more. I'm Michael Dafter, host on the podcast, and in this episode I'm speaking once again with Kelly Boyes. Kelly Boys is a mindfulness trainer and author of The Blind Spot Effect: How to Stop Missing What's Right in Front of You. She co-developed the piece on purpose. Mindfulness and Resilience Program for the United Nations Humanitarian and Development Workers, training UN staff in the Middle East, Central Asia, and beyond. Kelly holds a degree in Intercultural Religious Studies and has trained in Yoga Nidra in the non-dual yogic tradition of Kashmir Shaivism. And now, without further ado, I give you the episode that I call The Power of Non-Sleep Deep Rest with Kelly Boys. Kelly, welcome back once again to the Deconstructing Yourself podcast.
1: Glad to be here.
0: So glad to have you here. So it's been years since the last time you were on. You were one of the first guests on the show. And a lot has happened in your world in the meantime. You've been running programs around the world and meditation programs in various countries around the world for the UN and so on. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, it's so cool. So I want to talk to you today about the new programs you're going to start running at the Olympic. Yes. And from what I understand, you're going to be presenting something called non-sleep deep rest. That's right. Now, where did you come up with this term, non-sleep deep rest?
1: So Andrew Huberman, who is a neuroscientist out of Stanford University, he has a popular podcast called the Huberman Lab Podcast, in which he gives interviews and goes over topics around just health and wellness. He coined the term non-sleep deep rest to refer to practices, including yoga nidra, but also self-hypnosis. And he did so because he saw that yoga nidra was a practice for him that had powerfully influenced his life. And yet, whenever he talked about it, people just thought he was talking about yoga. And also, if you talk about hypnosis or self-hypnosis, people immediately have all of these ideas and views about what that is. So for him, he coined this term non sleep deep rest to include these kinds of practices that you can do. And he's actually done some research in his lab at Stanford on Yoga Nidra and those practices. So When I heard him talking about it, I got really excited and thought, oh, this is so neat. I could teach yoga nidra through this lens of non-sleep deep rest. It actually makes more sense as a term to describe what it is that I'm doing when I'm teaching. So I reached out to him and just asked, hey, can I use this? I'll credit you. And he said, absolutely. That's why I created it.
0: Excellent. So most of the listeners to this program are long-term heavy-duty meditators And so the minute you hear the word rest in something, or hear the word yoga in something, or we know we're meditating, lying down doing this, there's sort of a, huh? What is that? Because it's different than sitting up. So for the sake of everyone here, can you give me a description of yoga nidra, or which is how you learned it, right, called yoga nidra. But in this case, we're going to call it non-sleep deep rest.
1: Yes. So a description of the practice
0: yeah, what is it and how does it work?
1: Yeah, sure. So yoga nidra is a practice in non-sleep deep breaths. Now how I'm referring to it is a practice where you do indeed lie down just as if it's a kindergarten nap, you know, on your mat.
0: I like it already.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Most people like it. I I haven't heard many people that (laughs) have refused this form of meditation. And the neat thing is when you're sitting in meditation, especially when you're sitting on a cushion and you're holding yourself in a posture, the structure itself is part of the meditation. However, it can also include a lot of doing because you're having to hold yourself up physically And the lying down part of yoga nidra is intended to emphasize the being part of meditation, which sort of interrupts that doing mind and invites the body simply by the form that it's in into a deep state of relaxation. So when you're in a state of relaxation, such as this lying down and you're being guided through a practice or you're guiding yourself through it, you have access to your emotions, your body sensations, your thoughts, your sense of self, all of it, but all in this context of this so-called kind of liminal or in-between state, in-between waking and sleeping. And there's something powerful for me and others about that practice, that when you are in that in-between state, interesting things happen in your brain. In fact, some of the research that Andrew Huberman has done in his lab, has shown if you do, for instance, 30 minutes of yoga nidra, there are studies on this that show that it's changing the neuroplasticity in your brain. It accelerates neuroplasticity, it accelerates your learning, and other changes that it's resetting dopamine in your brain via serotonin levels. These are all things that I can't really describe further because I don't know enough about the underlying mechanisms But I know enough to know something powerful is happening when you go into the state that's in between waking and sleeping and explore your mind and explore your body. The same thing you're doing in meditation, sitting meditation, but because of the impact of being lying down and some of the ways that the practice unfolds, you're able to, I think, go deep into your own psyche and explore your experience in a way that is rich and complex and allows you to get a somatic feeling, for instance, what awareness feels like or what spaciousness feels like when you're not actually holding yourself up in a sitting position.
0: Now, something I'm curious about is when you're typically practicing this, Is it something that is guided, or you're doing it on your own, or both, or either?
1: Yeah, so both or either, (laughs) yeah. Often, especially when it's taught in a class like this, I will be guiding the practice of non-sleep deep rest, and taking people through the introduction, which is, you know, setting intentions for the practice, and then exploring your experience, you know, sensations in your body, emotions thoughts, your whole structure of how you're holding self and world together, the yoga nidra guidance can go in any which direction. So sometimes it can work with the active imagination and bringing in specific core limiting beliefs that you're holding, or emotions that are experienced as sensation in your body and working with those, working with opposites with emotions or beliefs. So it could be on that psychological level where you're meeting the content of your life. So observing just as you would in meditation, but then actively engaging with it in order to integrate and heal the psyche. Another direction that yoga nidra practice can go is exploring some of the most foundational questions of meditation around, who am I? What is this? And it's a holding container to be able to make that very essential spiritual inquiry. So depending on who's teaching it and where you are, you'll get a different version. Sometimes you'll hear someone just talking about it in terms of it's a relaxing practice. And indeed, that is one of the effects often, but that's not necessarily always the goal. I would say the goal of this Yoga Nidra practice is to deeply inquire into the nature of who and what you are. And if that means a lot of your time is spent inquiring into who you're taking yourself to be that's not necessarily true and you're in your own way, then so be it. If you have your energy freed up and you want to inquire into quality of spacious awareness or emptiness, then that's there, that's available for you as well. So once you learn the practice, you can guide yourself through it. However, being guided through it is part of the magic because then you get to completely relax and the doing is left behind and you're just there in the being.
0: And would that be where in that case, the hypnosis quality would come in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. When we're in a calm and relaxed kind of a state, then as we're exploring our experience, we can suggest to ourselves possible other ways to hold whatever it is that we're perceiving. And so with that self-hypnosis or kind of hypnagogic state where you're more receptive to suggestions about what might be possible... That's where that overlap would be. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, when we're practicing sitting meditation, the big, bad no-no, the thing that is completely illegal is to ever fall asleep or even get <laughs> drowsy. Right, right. And so this practice, when I first learned it long ago, was basically just progressive relaxation leading to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yes, And so I'm curious if people, let's say you're guiding the practice and you're doing something not just about deep rest, but also inquiry or whatever, and people feel like they're going to fall asleep or Mm -hmm. maybe they did fall asleep for a minute. How do you model that or how do you handle that? Because it seems like if you're laying down and doing this kind of practice people are going to fall asleep sometimes. They
1: are going to fall asleep. You're right. And you're also right that it is deeply associated with sleep. Nidra means sleep. And mm. a lot of the practices such as the autogenics or the progressive relaxation are indeed designed to take your body into a state of sleep. And I'm on a lot of different apps, including the Aura Ring, basically sending people to sleep with my voice. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: teaching Yoga Nidra. So when I teach, I always say that You know, if your body's tired and really needs sleep, and this is the place that you can get restorative sleep, then allow yourself to fall asleep. In other words, don't get so in your own way of the practice that you are just holding this idea in your mind that you can't sleep and you're not really in your meditation at that point. And when you allow your body to fall asleep, you can do a few different things. You can explore what it's like to feel your body falling asleep, in your awareness, or feel your body waking up in your awareness. And also, you can simply allow the practice to take you into a sleep, but then you'll come back out. Interesting, as I've taught this over the years in different prisons, jails, lots of group settings, I have seen so many different versions of people either basically staying in a state that's sort of like what Andrew Huberman calls like a shallow nap during waking. So you're awake, but slightly asleep. And you can tell that people are in this in-between state. So they're hearing my voice and doing the practice, but it's happening at a subtler level. And so I would just say you can allow yourself to fall asleep. This is the time for that. In my experience, if I'm rested, I can enter a yoga nidra practice and not fall asleep because I'm so curious about what it is that I'm exploring. And when I think we become in love with whatever it is that we're exploring in meditation, it helps wake us up paradoxically in lots of different ways and will hold our attention. But there's full permission for people to fall asleep and there's at times a cacophony of snores and often all, you know, maybe, (laughs) you know, I may tap your foot if you're snoring or if you hear someone snoring around you, check and see if it's you, you know.
0: So there's a lot of openness and permission and even acceptance of sleep if that occurs
1: that's right now
0: something you said that is quite intriguing was talking about inquiry practice and because i know you i know you have a lot of background with non-dual type practices and quite a deep practice in that direction and so how do you see non-sleep deep rest or yoga nidra the way you teach it overlapping or being a platform for or somehow helping in the self-inquiry or non-dual type practices
1: Mm mm-hmm I think originally the terminology yoga Nidra was associated in those earlier Hindu texts of the Mandukya Upanishad and and other texts to mean non-dual consciousness, basically, or sleep practices, which weren't articulated back then around what does it mean to be in this kind of state of non-dual consciousness or the union of opposites, that kind of a thing. And so... I like that embedded in the practice itself was the origins came from that depth of inquiry. Mm -hmm. And it was only later, I think in the 1970s that it became the practice that it is today in terms of walking through with relaxation practices and specific inquiries into body, mind, senses. So for me, being able to hold an inquiry about whether it's something essential to who I am at the level of identity that I'm taking myself to be or that I'm orienting to the world around. And to be able to take that into a practice when you're already relaxed, you're able to sense your body because you've done the body sensing, you're in touch with what it is that's your inner experience. And then you bring in a question like whatever these inquiries are around the non-dual experience and who we are, essentially. There's something about an inquiry when you're deeply relaxed like that, that allows you to, I think, make recognitions that are a little more challenging when you're strongly the doer in meditation, observing your experience and So for me, it's a beautiful place to inquire into whether it's, what does it even mean to be non-dual consciousness or whatever you wanna call it? And also what's in the way of me recognizing something here that I intuit is here, but haven't yet fully had an embodied experience of. And one of the ways that that can happen in sitting down meditation as well, because I also love to sit. <laughs> but one of the ways that that can happen is you're actually exploring the borders of your body and the felt sense of where your body ends and the space around you begins. And there are different kinds of inquiries that you can make to help yourself into a possible recognition of this non-separateness that we are. and. I do think repeated practice helps that become more of a possibility with yoga nidra and this non-sleep deep rest practice. It makes us more available. I think, you know, I can say that for myself, for sure.
0: You mentioned the Mandukya Upanishad. So it sounds like the history of yoga nidra goes back quite a ways.
1: It does. And it doesn't go back as the formal practice that it is today, but it goes back as an idea or a phrase to describe a state. And I know in the Mandukya Upanishads, that was really breaking down what that OM symbol is, the waking, the dreaming, and then the dreamless sleep, and then triya, the fourth state or the non-state in which waking, dreaming, deep sleep, or deep sleep, are coming and going. Yes. And so that original inquiry with the Mandukya Upanishad around the wakefulness that's here and the awareness that's here as a background to the states that are coming and going is part of one of the original understandings of yoga nidra was And then I think it was in the 70s, there was a man named Dennis Boyes. He has the same last name as me with an E between the Y and the S. So (laughs) he is this French dude, and I believe he studied with Jean Klein. And he began to articulate, I think he wrote a book on yoga nidra and, and sort of put it together in this fashion incorporating some of those relaxation practices that had come about You know, just in the 20th century. So, the progressive relaxation and then autogenics and that kind of a thing. And at that same time, or a couple years later, is when Swami Saraswati put his book out on Yoga Nidra. He said, okay, here is basically a similar practice to what Dennis Boyce had created. And from there, the offshoots of the Yoga Nidra programs or protocols that are out there really came from those two original ideas around combining some of the Western relaxation practices with some of the Eastern understandings of what the intention behind the practice was. And so I I like, in a way, that originally back And I say originally like in the 70s was how (laughs) recently this occurred, was a bit of a mishmash. And so by the time I who I studied with, Richard Miller at the IREST Institute, you know, he had brought some of the hypnagogic work and self-hypnosis and combined the progressive relaxation, the autogenics, the work with opposites, both from yogic philosophy and from young, And who knows, maybe Jung got his work with opposites from studying texts from India. We don't know how it all kind of came about. But that's basically the origin of what today is Yoga Nidra. It didn't really happen until the 70s. And before that, it was more a phrase to either describe the non-dual state of non-dual consciousness or to describe some kind of a sleep practice that leads to that. But it was all, I think, fairly esoteric and not laid out as a practice at least. could have been in oral traditions, but I don't think that there was much in text for how to do yoga nidra. But it was more described as a state that you reach.
0: That's so fascinating. Now, in terms of how this works, to some extent, as we've been saying, there's relaxation of the body going on since we're laying down, and certainly my own experience of doing this, the level of letting go that occurs is pretty profound. And I'm curious, you've been teaching this a very long time and with many, many people, because it's such a somatic practice, because it's so embodied, and we're doing these kind of releases, have you seen quite a bit of what I guess I'll call psychological breakthroughs occurring or big releases happening, just by the nature Mm -hmm. of how this practice is constructed?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I have in lots of different kinds of settings. And... That's one of the neat things about it is it feels like it's an invitational practice where you don't know what you're going to get every time. And I know that meditation's always like that. <laughs> and because of the way it's set up, everyone has their eyes closed and they're lying down and nobody knows where each other really are. Nobody's paying attention to the person next to them. And you can have a real release and people can cry or express or afterwards I've had many people tell me of the profound experiences that they've had as they've met these psychological pieces that may have been actually just dragging them down their whole life. Just that kind of unsolvable problem, that one thing that I have that I haven't been able to hack. And not to say that this is just a panacea, and it's just going to fix everything, but there, it just provides a context to be able to engage some content like that in creative ways through basically Jung's active imagination and the many practices that have been developed around that, where you're personifying and and dialoguing with aspects of yourself and your psyche that are in shadows. And as you do so, that becomes more integrated, and these releases happen, and kind of transformative, fast shifts can happen as well. There's something powerful about being in a group when this occurs, because you're able to afterwards see and hear others and how they're learning and integrating the practice. I think it's very helpful for your own learning. That I have seen, yeah, over the years and in my own experience, just plenty of people having profound experiences, including that one that we were talking about with just sort of feeling like they had suddenly woken up from some deep misperception. So it's all possible, I think, with the practice. And the neat thing is it, it meets us where we are, I think. That's the beautiful wisdom of each of our own bodies, that when we come into the practice, we come where we exactly are and not where we want to be. <laughs> and then that's what we get to do the work of is, you know, discovering where we actually are and then meeting that. And then it's just so cool what happens in that. And I do this one-on-one as well with people and I see that similarly. And that's more, you know, just sitting face-to-face, even if it's on Zoom and similar things happen. But I think in particular with this non-sleep deep rest, it's very invitational for healing to happen and for insight to occur.
0: What you're saying makes me curious about your own journey with Yoga Nidra or non-sleep, deep rest. Is there anything you can share about that?
1: Mm -hmm. Sure. I think when I first approached the practice or found the practice, I knew something important had happened when I encountered it, but... I think it was the tip of the iceberg, but I thought that that's all it was. And I thought that that was amazing. <laughs> and so I went on a, yeah, decade plus long, it's been, you know, 15 years now journey with the practice. And what I've discovered is that the framework of it allows for one, this understanding or like increased bandwidth for the paradoxes and these kind of seemingly unresolvable opposites that we contend with in our lives. And for me, that has helped me to work with challenging emotions. So for instance, for a big chunk of time, I was working with anxiety. And this was my practice for working with anxiety. And I went all the way in, all the way in, fear of death, like been on my shoulder since my 20s. And I just used the structure and framework of yoga nidra to go face my fear and at first it was just trying to mitigate anxiety and then it became actually i'm safe enough because of the context of this practice i'm safe enough to actually go all the way with this deep fear of death and in facing that It's been incredible for me in terms of the different aspects of freedom from, freedom to, you know, freedom to experience, intense levels of fear and freedom from a lot of the suffering as well. And it feels like it's been a pretty radical thing for me. It's been a bit like 24-7 since it started and, you know, smooths out sometimes and there are nice plateaus and chill periods for a couple of years and then there's something else that's you know you can feel these kind of seismic shifts that happen in your practice over time so maybe I encounter then or work with something about a core holding that may keep coming back for me about separation that I feel separate and then I've just been able to meet that over time And have those different experiences where you have that spiritual insight and you think, oh, everything's lifted and I've gotten it. (laughs) (laughs) And then, okay, however long that lasts and then you're invited back into the inquiry if it's still this piece of conditioning that's there or not as a way to go through as some kind of this OCD person trying to make every single part of my life perfect or inner world because that will never happen and we are far too messy for that as humans. But out of the love of it, I think for me, and I don't know if I'm just a weirdo, but out of the love of truth is what has motivated me in the practice. So I found a home, I think, in that for myself and other meditation practices as well. But it also has helped me to be able to integrate some of the larger spiritual insights and recognitions I've had so that my body and mind can actually tolerate and hold what I know deeply to be true about non-separateness. Because, you know, you can recognize that and then can your being hold it? In other words, what part of yourself is too contracted to believe that or to really let that in fully? And so I love that interplay between insight and then the practice of integration.
0: Hmm.
1: And I would say those are probably the main ways. And then lastly, would be relaxation? I love this practice for relaxation. I can do it and within basically three minutes, I can be asleep if I need to. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because sometimes I listen to my own because I know I have two recordings that if I listen to them, I'll fall asleep and I don't care, it's my voice, I just ignore myself. but I know they're just fast hacks for me when my body's stressed and I need to relax. The practice is so reliable for me. If I am able to do this opposite sides body sensing, opposite sides breathing, and then I'm going to do, you know, set an intention. And yeah, within five minutes, I am either deeply relaxed or headed towards sleep if that's what my goal is for the practice. So it has these different impacts. And I think that is more what Andrew Huberman studies the impacts of that deep relaxation on our body and on the restorative nature where it resets dopamine levels and that kind of a thing is probably more around those relaxation practices that are included in yoga nidra
0: Mm, that just sounds amazing i'm curious of course you're going to be teaching this at the alembic live and in person and we'll also be streaming that Uh, but beyond those resources where can people learn more about your work or learn more about or actually do some of your yoga nidra guidance or non-sleep deep rest guidance currently
1: yeah i have a youtube channel it's just my name kelly boys and then i have a tiktok channel and that's mindfulness with kelly boys same handle on instagram
0: we all associate tiktok with deep rest
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's um it it doesn't necessarily calm you down when you watch my videos, they might be slightly entertaining on TikTok. And then my book, The Blind Spot Effect, you know, is just sort of walking through some of those layers of exploration that happen in Yoga Nidra. And yeah, so I would say probably YouTube is where I have the most free content right now and am always recording more and putting more out there and then I'm on the Simple Habit app and mindfulness.com app and the Aura Ring. I have a lot of meditations, including these little sleep journeys where I take people on a journey through the woods, a 30-minute-long journey, and then into sleep. So that's specifically for sleep. But the practices that I have right now are the – bare bones basic practices on youtube and i'm gonna put up as i go more in-depth practices
0: that's fabulous i can't wait to dig into some of those all right kelly thank you so much it's been a real pleasure having you again on the show today
1: yeah thanks michael good to be here
0: all right see you soon okay